0: One of the four readings for this Christ the King Sunday comes from Psalm 95. You can find that uh, in your pew Bible, the Bible you brought with you, or on your phone or device. And uh, I want you to listen for the word of the Lord from Psalm 95, which says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his. The sea is his, for he made it, the dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today is Christ the King Sunday, the final Sunday in the liturgical calendar. Next Sunday is Advent 1, and we will begin a brand new year. But today is a punctuation mark, a stamp of definition that Christ is king. And I've been asking myself all week, what does that mean? That Christ is king. How is Christ king? Because if he is, uh, kings rule and they protect and they defend and send troops and kings conquer and are warriors and live lavish lives and opulent. Uh, mansions with beck and call servants, and they thrive on land acquisition, and they wear brilliant uh, jewels like Lucas was just showing here, with garments of the finest materials. But does that sound like Jesus to you? Hmm. We Americans, we had a king once, ruled from across the pond and tried to tax our tea. Not cool. So when we hear of King Jesus, we neither laud the king as a tyrant ruler or an office placeholder for a season, but as one whose rule, whose reign, whose kingdom is different. And we almost, on this Sunday, we almost need to turn sideways a little bit, stand on our heads to understand how Christ is king. The psalmist writes, Let us come into the King's presence with praise and worship. The Lord is great, King above all gods. Little G. Let us worship and bow down and let us kneel. There's an action required when we say Christ is King. Sounds a bit monarchical, like games of thronish. And yet the psalmist ends with this cryptic phrase, oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Hmm. Did you know that in all three of the liturgical years, years A, year B, year C, the gospel lessons paired with with Christ the King Sunday identify the nature of a king uh, whose voice we need to hear? to whom our knees should bend, to whom we should bow, the one who is worthy of our praise and and thanksgiving. And the thing is, from these readings, we, we find something much different than what we expect. In year A, Matthew's Gospel is a text we read recently. When the Son of Man comes in all of his glory, he'll separate the sheep from the goats and judge them based on how they fed and quenched the thirst of others and clothed the unclothed based on things they did for the needy. That's an image of the king from Matthew's gospel. And then from from John's gospel, year B, the the gospel with Christ the king is is when Jesus is on trial. And he has a philosophical conversation with Pilate, who asks Jesus, well, what is truth? As Jesus is standing with a different kind of crown, one of thorns. And a robe, beaten within an inch of his life, and then, and and you see, oh, it's just really, really an odd pairing with what happens in Luke's gospel. It says, when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified the King of the Jews. It's the crucifixion. So, just to be clear, when we're thinking about what the gospels say of Christ, the King, we have the judgment of nations, a flogging, and an execution. And all of that is paired with this psalm, which is one of praise and worship. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Got it. The thing is, though, the thing is we'll never see Jesus for the king he is as long as we praise and worship all of the other kings and things we place on his throne. And if you want to know who or what your king is, you don't have to look very far. For example, I get a notification on this device every week that says, your screen time is either up or down. Do you receive that? Oh, it's just a lovely feature. I'm so happy that someone is so hospitable to send that to me every single week. The social media king knows we praise and worship scrolling and clicking and sharing, and commenting. And then there's our spending trends. I know Black Friday, it came and went, and from so many companies, Black Friday started uh, about, I don't know, the Monday before the Friday even it arrived. The Black Friday king and the Cyber Monday king know we praise and worship a good bargain. And this time of year, when the king of consumption demands our resources, while others go hungry and cold and without a friend to sit and listen, the king of of credit card spending, the king of materialism knows that we can become indentured servants if we'll just swipe it a couple of more times. You know, on Jesus' throne, we're likely to place any number of kings to worship. We'll place political parties on that throne, country denomination, and God forbid we ever place ourselves on that throne and say, Jesus, I got this one. I'm going to do some judgment myself. Hmm. Which king is on Jesus' throne for you? We can do an audit. We can tell by the amount of time and emotion and intellect and energy and, and money that we're yielding to that king. The king won't be hard to find, and we all do it. We bend a knee and we bow to various kings. And for some reason, Jesus, the king, Christ, demanding our loyalty, asked for something so radically different in asking for our hearts and asking for our hands and asking for our feet and for our voices He asked for our hearts. He asked our hearts to turn away from empires that we create in in this world and instead turn towards caring for one another and the least among us. Isn't that interesting? A king who cares about vassals, peasants, the sick and the infirm, a king who cares about prodigals? Thieves, scoundrels, renegades, blue-collar, white-collar, CEO and line workers, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, black, white, all the labels. Jesus cares about them all? Not just one group, not just my group, but all that kind of king? Yep. That's why the gospel readings for Christ the King depict a helpless king, tortured, shamed shamed by the church and by the state, killed for loving too widely. And then in one of those Gospels, I don't know if you pick up on this, it usually comes around uh, the season of Lent. It says they kept deriding him. They just kept on ridiculing, kept on shaming. He tried to get up, they just keep pushing him down with the insults and and the shame. They did that to a king. Does that sound like a king to you? Except place place yourselves in that moment because we continue the degradation and the mocking of Christ the King each time we choose not to love our neighbors and not to hear the cry of the needy and not to serve and bless as we have been served and as we have been blessed. They kept on treating Jesus exactly how we treat Jesus and it crushes him when we miss the entire point of his kingdom to love to serve, and to go share. In a few weeks, from right here in this Holy of Holy chancel areas, you'll hear the familiar, O Holy Night. I would sing it for you, but there was a game yesterday, and something has happened here. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. Fall on your knees, says this one line. Oh, hear the angel voices, O night divine. We love that song and its season, but like all the other regal hymns of the faith, we forget what our posture of kneeling, falling on our knees actually means. And it might be because to proclaim Christ the king is so commonplace to us. We we say it, it sort of rolls off our tongue. Uh, We think very little of it, but for 2,000 years and in many countries right now, this statement, Christ is king, it will get you killed. There's only room for one king. Unlike the Christian movement and the church itself, which dates back, you know, many centuries, Christ the King Sunday, it's only 100 years old. Established by a pope for political reasons during an era of czars and kaisers. We don't have a lot of actual kings running around these days, corrupting the world, so I've often wondered if if Christ the CEO Sunday is is better, Or, or Christ the AI developer Sunday, or, or Christ the chairman of the Federal Reserve. I mean, where are those places of, of power? Because when paired along true world superpowers, military, money, technology, whatever, Jesus, Jesus really is uh, a little disappointing as a king, right? Kings have power. And he chooses to give his away or give it to people through baptism. Claimed as we celebrated Marshall's life? Kings have power. Jesus really is an interesting king. My preference is to praise and worship a king who will do some smiting. I love that word, smite. Don't you love that word? Say that word, smite, smite. It's a great word. Give me a king who will smite all of my own enemies. And when they're all smote, smite some more. (laughs) Bring it, King Jesus. I don't mean just the enemies I can count on, on one hand, those who I think have coming to them what they deserve. I mean the antagonists to all of God's work in the world. Smite them up, King Jesus. Why not, why not end racism and bigotry and wipe out imbalances of power? And Why not make sure that every child has food and shelter and adequate education? Smite the smiters too while you're at it but not only the ones who disagree with me or us. Why not take away the abilities people have to destroy one another through weaponry of choice? Why not a king who will handle pockets of terrorism like ISIS and Hamas and Hezbollah? I mean, all hail King Jesus. If he can just smite all of that and bring peace. There's a problem with that. If I'm going to praise and worship a king who will only destroy my enemies, then I need to be ready to be destroyed too because I fall into someone else's category as an enemy. And God is a God of all. So where does that leave us? Smiting and wishing one to be smote is a dangerous game (laughs) because before long we placed ourselves right back on that throne And ask Jesus to step down. Because to praise and worship a king who will only keep the peace in my preferred way by annihilating the groups with whom I disagree, it just fosters a propensity for more hate and violence. What we need is a king who doesn't care about the systems that, that create those boundaries. What we need is a system that that doesn't walk around and and see how much we can hoard and squeeze and control. And instead, the kingdom of God has come. Say, how much can you give and release? And how wide is, is your love? So we get a king who doesn't care about those systems or apparatuses at all, but whose system of rule involves giving, and loving, and not smiting, and sharing food, and not hoarding it, and preparing a table, table for all, sinners and saints. And if you don't know which one you are today, then you're in the right place, because Jesus saved a spot for all of us. So fall on your knees here today at this chancel rail. With the truth in your mind and in your heart that the King of kings and the Lord of lords came into this world as a helpless, poor delegate, refugee, baby king, and he left this world as a helpless, poor, delegate-beaten rabbi-shepherd. Fall on your knees. Praise and worship to the king who is not interested in your politics, but is interested in you as a prodigal. Fall on your knees to the king who offers a kingdom without borders, to the king who, when wronged, does not say, I'll get you back, but... I forgive you. Fall on your knees and worship the king who knowing our capability to do so much harm to one another and ourselves, he died anyway to make all things new and who is not interested in our appetite for being right, but instead wants us to be righteous. And so we fall on our knees to the one who wears a crown of thorns and whose throne was a cross. And then we ask ourselves, is that the form of service that we're willing to take on too? We fall on our knees on Christ's the king Sunday, to the one who does not gather all his people together and arm them with grenades of guilt to lob at others or missiles of malice or bulletproof barricades, but who says, here's a key that will unlock all the chains that are around you. Be free, my child. We fall on our knees in praise and worship for the king whose body was ripped open and whose blood was poured out for your salvation into an entirely different kind of kingdom, one that does not trade violence for violence or hate for hate, but has overcome them both with the most beautiful and messy and paradoxical form of sacrificial love this world has ever seen. His kingdom is not like our kingdom. In his kingdom... There's a place at the table for everyone, friends, foes, enemies, sinners, and saints. Uh, in his kingdom, there's a petting zoo. Did you know this? It's a petting zoo where the lion and the lamb and the leopard and the kid, they all play together. It's not stone or brick or metal or high rises or walls. It's, it's just a garden, really, and we'll all be given uh, some instruments and tools and some seeds to plant, and then we will harvest it, it all together. There's fields in Jesus' kingdom, but there's no landmines in them. It's not a trick. It's where the weapons of war have been cut and melded and molded into farm tools and everyone is invited to work together. Because in Jesus' kingdom, the last are first and the first are last. In Christ the king's kingdom, mountains are brought low and valleys are raised up and crooked places made straight and rough places made plain. And in that moment, all God's children will stand on equal footing and see salvation together. Someone much wiser than I wrote, Christ is our king because the human violence competition, the need to be right, and the need for everyone else to be wrong, and the belief that God favors us above all the others, and the use of that delusion to kill and alienate is seen by Jesus for exactly what it is, so, so small. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. And let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise with songs of praise for the Lord is a great God and king above all kings. Oh, that today you and I would listen to his voice saying in this moment, come to me all who are burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Stop trying to be your own king and making so many other things into a king and a kingdom. They will never love you back. So just come on up and eat and rest. I've got you. You are mine. And you are safe here for now. But we have a lot of work to do to create this peaceable kingdom together. So come to this table. And let's get started together. It all begins with an invitation, not a demand. An invitation to be made new. An invitation to pledge allegiance to Jesus' upside-down, inside-out kingdom, one of self-emptying, not self-preservation. One where our our pain points matter to God and to one another, and they're not exploited, but they're healed through a meal. An invitation to know that you are God's child, an heir to God's kingdom, all because Christ says so. Amen.